Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. Hey, uh, good morning, everybody. Welcome to uh, Real Life. Uh, I love that we call it Real Life because that's welcome to church. We're just a bunch of regular people that love Jesus and are uh, doing our best to get to know him better and actually become more and more like him and spur each other on to be his disciples that really live out what we're going to learn from James today. And I've really enjoyed this series so far. James has always been a really... um, helpful uh, letter for me to go through personally. It speaks to me a lot because um, it's really black and white. He kind of calls it as he sees it. And I think for some of us sometimes, um, it's like parables are awesome, but a punch in the stomach sometimes is just what you actually needed, right? And so sometimes that can feel a little bit like that when we jump, jump into James. So as we're going through this series, we titled it The Truth Is, and we're talking about the truth is that your words do matter, your actions do matter, and your prayers do matter. And today we're gonna talk about actions. Last week was words. And and I would just encourage you that if you missed last week to jump online and listen to it. If you have a mouth, you're probably uh, prone to uh, have it cause you problems, right? And all of us are at times in that message last week, we really unpacked three lessons that James has about uh, our mouths and some of the trouble that they can get us into and how to address that. So I would encourage you to go back and listen online. And then today we're going to talk about uh, our actions. So we're going to move from our mouth to our feet, right? And we're going to talk a little bit more today about why our actions matter so much. Now, right out of the gate, that's not like a big revolutionary idea. What you do matters. Okay, that sounds pretty cliche, and we've all learned that since we were little kids. But what we really want to zero in on is we want to read God's word. We want to read this letter from James and and really stretch ourselves to go past the surfacey like what you do matters and wrestle with why is it so important to James? Why does he go over and over and over it? Why does he give all these different examples and concrete illustrations? And, and, And if it's so important to him, what might it mean for us, right? And so we're going to wrestle with that this morning. And, uh, and we're going to jump in to the very first uh, chapter of James, and we're going to just start with the text, and then we'll go from there. So James chapter 1, verse 19, and uh, we're going to go through 25. And it goes like this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Now, those of you that watch uh, the Jesus Time Devos that uh, I do throughout the week, you'll know that uh, I like rabbit trails. And so uh, we're going to chase a couple rabbit trails before we jump into action. First, we're going to learn a little bit about mirrors. We're going to talk mirrors. And we're going to talk law. All right. And so the first thing that James says in here is he gives this interesting example 
Um, which to me, I, I, it sends me and chasing all kinds of rabbit trails because why is James, a first century Jew, using mirrors as an example? Number one, there's something for you to go chase down on your own. And, and, and so, and he gives this example. And at first, it feels a little bit obvious, but then it makes you wonder like, is it a riddle? Is it a trick? What exactly is he saying? And, and I would pose this thought for you Say you have a really important meeting. And it's at lunch and it's a big deal and you're really uh, looking forward to the person that you're going to be meeting with and you're getting up in the morning, you're getting ready, you're getting all primped and, and everything put in the right pot spots and the right clothes and all the stuff and you do one more drive-by by the mirror to make sure everything's all in order and you happen to notice it looks like somebody squirted a giant bottle of ketchup on your shirt. Out of nowhere, you're like, whoa, what? Like, what happened? That's like crazy. And then you kind of go on about your day and uh, you eventually make it to the time where you have your meeting. You sit down to have your meeting and the person that you're having lunch with can't help themselves, right? They just, you just, it's not the sort of thing you just don't see. And so they say to you like, all right, well, what's the story? About what? The thing on your shirt that looks like someone dumped a bottle of ketchup on you like there's got to be a story right and you're like oh yeah 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 yeah. I saw that this morning it freaked me out I couldn't believe it was there and they're like and and you're like yeah and I just saw it right and I think that person sitting at lunch would you would be thinking like you should probably not look at mirrors anymore because it was of no use to you, right? You might as well just take the mirror out of your bathroom because there was really no point in looking at it. And that's exactly what James is trying to portray. He's trying to get us to wrestle with this funny idea of how silly would it be to look in the mirror and see something like that and just walk away and do nothing with it. And then he goes on to give this example about law. He says, but if you look into God's perfect law. Now, Here's a little bit of a struggle for us because in our culture, in the Western world that we live in, when we talk about laws, we don't normally get warm, fuzzy feelings. When we talk about laws, we think about uh, police or, or politics or all kinds of stuff, and it doesn't normally stir up like, I'm really excited to learn about this, right? There are a few of you odd ducks that are excited to learn about laws, but the rest of us, not so much, right? And what we've got to understand is that word... That, that is translated as law in Hebrew is the word Torah, right? Everybody say Torah, right? And if you're really cool, you could say it the right way, uh, which I'm not, so I don't try. Um, and, and that word means something to a first century Jew. It meant something to James when he wrote it. It meant something specific to his audience that would have read or heard that letter read. It meant instruction or teaching. And so when we kind of like change the way we approach the text, and instead of coming to the text with our cultural understanding, like about what we think about laws and what laws mean to us and putting that on top of James's letter, if we don't do that, if we let the word say what it says and we try to hear what his audience would have heard, what we would what we'd have come out is James saying that, but if you look at God's perfect instruction, if you look at God's perfect teaching and and you do what it says, you, you don't forget what you heard, but you actually do what you heard, then God will bless you. 
And all of a sudden, it changes the way that we hear this teaching, this, this instruction from James. Because when we hear, uh, if you look at God's perfect law, it, it may or may not resonate with us. It may make no sense to us. It may be confusing, or I'm not sure which law, which one's the perfect law. And we go on these little trails that are not the right thing. We're not hearing or understanding the right thing. But if we hear God's perfect teaching and instruction, all of a sudden it changes. Like, our whole countenance about like, I'm actually interested in God's perfect instruction. That's actually really appealing to me. I'd really like to know what it is, right? And so just knowing these words helps us unpack that a little bit more. And then the other thing about Torah is it also was a word that uh, the Jews used to refer to what we know as the uh, first five books of the Bible. And for James, Torah was his scripture, and so when he says, you look into God's perfect instructions, it was this collection of teachings that he would reference. And his audience was more than familiar with, oftentimes had memorized all five of those books. And so he's given this, these words that mean something to him. So he talks about mirrors, he talks about laws, but he goes on to talk about some things in here over and over again, about listening and doing, about hearing and obeying, right? He says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. He says, if you do what it says and you don't forget what you heard. So there's this, like it goes on and on, doing and uh, hearing and doing, listening and obeying. And if we're going to really wrestle with why our actions matter so much, if we're going to try and understand why this type of teaching is so important to James, what we've got to, I think, unpack a little bit more is understanding listening the way James understood listening, the way his audience understood listening. Because when, when we, uh, in our world, when we hear the word listen, it just means like a physical action. We hear a bird singing or someone yell our name, right? We hear our ears just functionally work. That's listening, right? And we separate obedience or doing from hearing. And I want you to go back to Exodus with me. Exodus chapter 24, verse seven. It says that then he took the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. And again, they all responded, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. And that word obey is an important word. That word is uh, shma, right? Try it, say shma. Right, And I know some of you are familiar with this, but these are the types of things where if you've heard it before, it's important that you hear it again. If, you're, if this is a new word for you, and, or you've heard it but never really understood it, then cool, you're here today. Right? And so Shema is a word that means obey. It means take heed. It means do. It also at the exact same time, means hear and listen. You see, for James and for his audience, the word shema means hear and do. Like they're inseparable 
definitions when they hear that word. They, it, it bleeds together, locks together. And for us as English-speaking people who have a lot more words at our disposal, we have different words for specific different things. And so when we say, did you hear something? We're asking, did my ears work, right? Did I hear what you said? And, and, and when we say, did you do what I asked you to do? Now we're talking about like action, right? Hearing and doing, we can separate. And more often than not, we do. But at the same time, it gets complicated because sometimes we actually understand listening the way a Jew would talk about listening. For example, if your kids are making a mess in the room and you walk by and you look at all the junk that they've got spread all over the place and you say to them, hey, you got to get all this stuff cleaned up and X, Y, Z, and you give them some instructions. And then later you walk by and they're still playing and hadn't done anything. You say, hey, were you listening? We're not asking if their ears physically worked right? Did the words go in? What we're really asking is, how come you're not obeying, right? And so we do at times understand that listening and obeying, it's kind of the same thing, that they go together. And so that's the way we've start. We've got to really think and understand about this word, shma, hear, listen, obey, right? Now, the word also describes... Um, for a Jew, what is essentially their pledge of allegiance to God. And for a Jew, every day, a first century Jew, James, his audience, Jesus, Jews to this day, they, uh, it's common practice to start their day as the very first thing they, they do at the beginning of the day and the, and the thing that they do at the end of the day before they go to bed to say a prayer, which is effectively for us, the way we could understand it is it is absolutely a daily pledge of allegiance to God. It's called the Shema right? It's aptly named after the first word of the prayer. Kind of like us in our world where we say the Pledge of Allegiance. So we say the Pledge of, you know, I pledge allegiance to the United States of America, blah, 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 and we go on. And so if you say to somebody, hey, did you have to say the pledge when you were in school when you were a kid? We just say the pledge like that. We reference it, and everybody knows exactly what we're talking about. Shema, likewise, the first word of this prayer, when we say that Jews said the Shema, they knew it entails this prayer. And it goes back to Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four through five. It says, uh, listen, right? So that word is Shema. So here we have Shema, O Israel. Now, if we were to like put our uh, Jewish ears on, what we would uh, what we'd be interpreting there is hear and obey, listen and do, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Right, So for Jewish people, men, women, young people, old people, everybody that would say this prayer, this was their daily pledge, their, their commitment, their reminder of their commitment to hear and obey God, that God is God and no other gods are out there. Like he is God alone, right, to, to make this pledge. This is a part of their practice. And so they know this word. They're familiar with this idea of listening and doing, hearing and obeying, which helps us understand why James says some of the things he does. Like in 122, he says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves, right? And in our world, we think about 
listening, we put so much stress on what we gain. Like what, how do we acquire knowledge in our mind? What do we hear and hold on to, right? And we measure it by how much school we have, how far we go in our education system, how many years we complete, what our GPA was, how many letters are behind your name. And that's respected and valued because it's, it represents knowledge gained. But for a Jew, they understand that if, if, if you know it, it doesn't actually settle into your heart unless it's actually transforming the way you live. And if what you're learning is transforming the way you live and, and in showing up in the way that you act and behave, things are sinking up. And James understands this. And for James, it's so, so, so important you will hear him beat this drum over and over and over again. You're going to hear me beat this drum over and over again. You'll think, oh my gosh, he's going to say it again. I'm only doing what James did. I'm just taking his lead. It was so important. You got to understand, if we remember, James is writing to uh, first century believers in Jesus that were Jewish. They grew up knowing God's word in the world. We talked about this last week, but in the world that we live in, the audience that James is writing to is like Christians who have always been Christian. Their, fa- their grandparents grew up in church. Their great-grandparents grew up in church. Their great-great-grandparents grew up in church. They all knew God's word, had access to God's word, were brought up learning God's word, followed God's word, were a part of God's practice and ceremonies. It was an absolutely, completely full part of their life. They learned and knew God's word. And James is writing to them going like, there's more to it than just knowing it. And for him, it's so important that he goes over it and over it and over it and over it again and again and again to help them understand that like, like for James, it's almost like he's going, it's better that you hear it sooner than later, that if you're not actually being changed and, and the things that you know aren't showing up in your feet and your hands and the way that you live and the way that you treat people, it's better that you hear it sooner than later that what you thought you had is actually dead. It's like James is going, I don't want anybody in my church. I don't want anybody that hears these words to have a false sense of security that because you grew up in church and you know all the stuff, that you have a live and vibrant faith. Here's how he goes on to explain it. Check this out. James chapter two, verse 14. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose your brother or sister has uh, no food or clothing and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give the person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? And I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. I love what we're seeing James unpack here. A couple of different things. Like he's writing a letter to people and then he's imagining their rebuttals. He's imagining their like how they're gonna push back against what he's saying, and then he answers that. He's like, he's like, I can imagine in my mind some of you are gonna say, I have faith. 
right? Like, it's almost like he's imagining people are going to go like, but yeah, you know, no, 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 listen, you don't understand, James. I'm an introvert. I, I am wired for learning and studying and knowing God's word. And like, you have no idea how committed I am to it. And there's a lot of people I know that are extroverts and they're more of the like doers of that. They're like out there and their mouth is always going and they're always serving and they're doing things. And that's awesome for them. But I'm just different. Like, I'm not built that way. I'm not wired that way. I'm more like a, I lean on the learner side. And James is like, I could imagine that one of you was going to say that to me. And that's why I wanted you to know that you could just talk all you want. But if you would want to maybe just show me what you believe, I'll have an idea right away if your faith is alive or not. He's like, you can start there if you want, but I start over here. I will show you what I believe, he says, by what I do, how I live, the words that come out of my mouth, the way I spend my money, the kind of things that I do for other people. And I love this other thing that he says in here that I think is really curious. He says, he says it, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. And so it's like he's already heard another counter from him. There's another counter that's out there that says, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you got to understand, James, like I know my faith is good because I, I know there's only one God, right? Why, why would James bring that thing up? Like why would he have that in his letter of like one of the things you're going to say to me is that you're in the right and you're doing it right and you have the right kind of faith because there's only one God because of what we just learned about Shema, right? What does every Jew do every morning when they wake up? They say Shema. They say, they say, hear and obey, O Israel, right? Like Shema, O Israel. Listen, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord alone, right? There's only one God. They say it every morning. And James is just rebutting them right away. He's like, the, the thing about faith that's alive that the thing about faith that is the kind of faith that Jesus calls us to, he says, it's a faith that is more than just declaring what you believe every day. He's like, you just say what you believe every morning. Awesome. You know who else believes that? The demons. You're in good company. He's like, they declare. And you know what they do? With their knowledge of that, it causes them to tremble in fear. He goes, what good is it to just declare your intentions every day, walking around with a sign saying, I believe in God and there's only one God. Great, we know what you believe. Whoop-de-doo. I love how he digs into this stuff. James is saying to them and saying to every other person that's ever read his letter afterwards is that the truth is your actions do matter. There's, there's more to faith than just hearing or reading the scriptures. In fact, if it doesn't actually change the way that we live, he gives these strong warnings. He uses words like dead He's not saying that on accident. He didn't exaggerate. This isn't hyperbole. This is just telling you how it is. And he doesn't let up. It's like he's got his foot on the gas and he's like, they're going to get the point that the world will not change by what you know. The gospel will go forward. The great commission will take root because you live what you know. 
if, if we have a world full of believers that are locked into what they know and it never shows up in their life, this thing is over in a generation. And he just keeps going. Uh, check out James chapter two, verse 20. He says, how foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see his faith and his actions work together and his actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Now, in the American church in particular, people get all sorts of hung up and want to go down all kinds of little doctrinal rabbit trails and try and flesh out. Like, well, wait a minute. I thought we we're saved by faith alone. And are you trying to say that if you're not doing the right things and if it's not like if you're not living the right way, then you're not saved. And I'm trying to say that James, the half brother of Jesus that spent time with Christ, that spent time with the apostles is absolutely incredibly passionate about people doing what they know. Living out what they know. Is James trying to make an argument that, that you're not saved by faith? Heck no. That's not what he's saying at all. But he's saying that if you have faith, you believe God is one God and there is no other God and that you're reading God's word and it's not actually ever showing up in your life, then you're taking a religion class. You're not following Jesus. And they're radically different. He's like, the world will be changed by people that are following Jesus, that are learning and living out. Why was the Great Commission? What was the Great Commission? From Jesus' own words, out of his own mouth. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to learn a bunch of stuff. Sort of but teaching them to shma, everything he taught. Our call is to know Jesus so well and know what Jesus taught so well so that we can live out the Great Commission, which is to teach the people around us to obey what Jesus taught, right? So you got to know what he taught so that you can wrestle with how do you do it? How do you shma? How do you hear and obey? And James just goes on and on and on. He brings up these great examples of Abraham and Rahab. He says they're counted right with God. They're, they're righteous. They're made right with God. It's, it's because like they, they had this faith, this belief, but then it actually showed up in the way that they lived. And Abraham's an easy one. We can see his faith and, and how it came to life in his actions. But Rahab, we're like, wait a minute, where, what kind of faith did, he, did she have? Like, didn't she just sort of save her own neck? But if you look at the scriptures, what we learn about her is that she heard about who God was. She heard that God was the God of the Red Sea. She heard that God was the God that was delivering the towns that were on the way to her town and that she believed that God had delivered their country to his people and that God was a God that, that was providing for and, and, and leading his people. And her faith in that God, that he was a real God, led her to behave as if what she had faith in was true. And God was like, 
That right there. That. She's right with me. She believed and it showed up. And James just keeps drawing out these strong warnings. I love some of the things that he he says, like we're getting this idea that these concrete words like dead, right? He goes on at the end of this one. I don't know if you ever catch this or if it really ever sunk in for you when you've read this before, but he says, just as the body is dead without breath, so also uh, faith is dead without good works. Like James is going like, do you not understand? Like, like, do you not get it that, that, that like, I want you to think about somebody whose lungs don't work. What would it be like to have lungs that stop? You're like, game over, right? He's like, exactly. That's what I'm trying to help you understand. Like, like to, to say that you're a Jesus follower, to say that you love God and believe in God, but if it isn't showing up in your life and it doesn't transform the way that you live, the way that you talk, the way that you spend your money, the way that you care about other people, if you're not wrestling with trying to do what you're learning, then you're no different than a guy whose lungs stopped. You're like, whoa. Game over. He uses these pretty radical examples. Because I think as a guy who knew that this might be his last letter that he could ever write, these may be some of the last words that he could ever write to people that were committing to follow Jesus, that were under severe persecution. He didn't know how the future of the church would go. One thing James knew for certain was that if people didn't make the transition from what they're learning, what they've studied, what they've grown up knowing, to actually being changed in their heart to the point where it shows up in all of the ways that they treat people, the church was over. And so he didn't, he didn't let up. When you read James, what you cannot miss is he desperately cared about people living out their faith. And I hope that's the same message that we hear as a church, that God desperately cares about us living out our faith. We have God's word so available to us. You could just about put your hand up in Walmart and say, well, somebody study the Bible with me. And if you stood there for probably 15 minutes, somebody would say yes. Like that's how available our faith is to us. And that's awesome. But even more importantly, I think, I think if James could speak to our audience now, I think he would hammer this even more because he's like, like, I knew that they were going to struggle with it in the culture that they lived in, the world that they lived in. But like you have an abundance of knowledge available, abundance of God's word available, abundance of wise teachers available, an abundance of awesome content available, more than they ever dreamed would ever be available. But is it actually changing the world? One person at a time, right? And those are the things I think James would want us to wrestle with. And so we're going to finish in our notes. And so every week you'll note that we kind of put some um, kind of takeaway points or questions in your sermon notes. And we really do that real strategically because like James, 
we want to kind of follow this principle of we want to dig into God's word every week when we get together. We want God's word to be our guide, God's word to be our teacher. We want to be grounded in scripture, teach it as, as well and as accurately as we know how to. And then we want to challenge all of us, myself included, we want to challenge ourselves to think about how do we actually live what we're learning. And so we're going to focus a lot as we, as we dig into a sermon, we're learning, and then we're going to wrestle with what would it look like to live what we just learned, right? And so that's kind of the aim of these questions. The first one says, uh, have you ever considered the idea of pledging your allegiance to Jesus? Right? I think a lot of people uh, say, yeah, I've committed my life to Christ. I've, uh, I'm saved. I've been baptized. I committed my life to Christ. And, and if you were going to think about like, if I pledged my allegiance to Jesus, like that was the time. And you may remember the day or the moment, right? But what about, what about wrestling with living that out on a daily basis? What if we kind of learned from people that have followed God for generations? What if we sort of learned this practice of what if I said the pledge to God every morning, right? In a modern way, in our own language, you might say like, um, and it says in there, it says, listen, O Israel. We might say, listen, all of God's people. There's only one God, God alone, It's my aim to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my strength. And then you open your eyes and start your day. Like, what if that was part of our practice? Practice, like, learning about it, believing it, declaring it, and then starting to actually let it come out in the way that we behave. Like, before I look at my phone in the morning, um, Kayla did something awesome for me. I have, probably like a lot of people, I use my phone for an alarm clock. Um, and on the side of my bed. So when I roll over to turn off my alarm, she printed for me the Shema prayer and stuck it right next to the side of my bed. So when I roll over, I can't not see it, right? But what a cool thing, like make it easy. So that's like taking action to practice living what I'm learning, right? And so there's some thoughts on that. Uh, second thing is, uh, what would people say you believe based on your actions, and we all know this to be true. We all understand the fact that if people walked uh, around and, and kind of followed you around and walked and watched what you did and what you said and how you spent your money and how you spent your time, they would start to make some pretty good guesses about what you really believe in. They could probably tell you if they spent a week following you around, they would probably have some pretty good ideas about what's really important to you. You may not agree with them, but your actions would probably tell the truth, right? Our actions. And so just be thinking about that, like, the way I'm living, not do people know what I know? Do people know what I believe? But if people watched how I live, what would they think I believe? Right? Uh, Next thing up is this one is, um, how about why Abraham and Rahab as those examples of, of that James used to have these two people that were shown to be right with God by the way their faith kind of lived out the way they put their faith into action. And I I just think that's an awesome rabbit trail. And I think that's something that every one of you should wrestle with and dig into. Like of all the people that James could have chosen from, of all the people he could have given examples or, or brought up, why did he pick to tell all of these believers in Jesus? Like like everybody that was going to hear this letter, why did he tell them, Hey, for example, you all know about Abraham. Oh, and by the way, take a look at Rahab. 
chase that down. Dig into that. See what God shows you. And the fourth thing is that just that do you sense anybody or do you sense God leading you to make any changes um, based on what you heard, right? As you're hearing James, his words kind of echoing over and over and again today, hear and obey, listen and do, learn it, but actually live it, right? And you're hearing that stuff like, is it shaking something loose in you? You're like, oh, there's an area I could do different, or this is, this is something that I'm feeling convicted of. Like, I've really been learning about that, but I don't know if anybody would ever know it by my life, right? Maybe there's a thing. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. And, and that's, that's part of, like, really being encouraged along and discipled by God's Spirit. Like, he will convict us, and, and his word will teach us, like Paul said to Timothy. And as the word teaches us and convicts us and corrects us and the spirit teaches us and prompts us or kicks us along, like we have our part to actually like try out what we're learning and how God's leading us. And as we do, we've got this faith that is just like coming to life. And we get to be like Abraham and Rahab people that God would say, look right there, there's another one. There's somebody that is right with God because their faith showed up in their life. He's like, bingo, there's one, there's one, there's one, right? I don't know about you guys, but I'd like to get caught by God doing the right thing. Hey, let's finish with communion this morning, all right? Go ahead and grab your uh, communion cups and we're going to take communion together. Um, if you're new with us, uh, we take communion together every week as a church. And we do that for several reasons, but probably one of the most important reasons is it just helps us not get a long ways away from remembering what Christ did for us, remembering what's available to us because of his sacrifice. And when I reflect on the teaching this morning and the words of James talking about Shema and hearing and obeying and doing, I just think about like, what an awesome, awesome God we have and, and how, how great it is that Jesus heard from the Father and obeyed. He said he didn't do anything except what the Father told him. And so we, hear, we have this awesome example in Jesus that he heard the plan. He heard the way God wanted him to live his life love people, teach people, sacrifice, serve, care about others, empower other people. And as he heard the plan, he lived it out. And so I just want to remind us that as we're wrestling with stuff, as we're learning it, sometimes it's, it's easier to learn it and harder to live it because sometimes we're like, I'm not quite sure exactly what that would look like. Just keep going back and looking at Jesus. Just keep going back and looking at Jesus. The more you know about Jesus, the more you've studied his life, the way he talked to people, the way he interacted with people, the way he brought the scriptures to life, the things that he was passionate about, the places he would go, the things he would do, the more you're going to get inspired and challenged to live your faith out in a way that looks a lot like Jesus and let him be your example. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.